I've been trying to get a hold of you for your car's extended warranty. Good morning, Hope. Uh, how far would you go to get a message delivered? Oh, man. Anybody ever gotten a phone call like that before? Oh, anybody ever just hung up screaming, leave me alone? I won't ask if anybody's ever fallen for it and actually, and actually paid them. Uh, my name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor here at Hope Ames. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on out. Uh, I haven't been here in a little while. So if this is your first time back, we have something in common. Uh, my wife and I, we took a vacation. And thank you so much for letting us have that time together. Last week, I was preaching at our West Des Moines campus. And I got to tell you, it just feels really good to be home. It feels so good to be with you all here. Um, if you're a college student who's come back, or if you're a college student who's coming to Iowa State for the first time, welcome back. We're so glad that you're here. Let's give God praise for them being back. In, in case you didn't notice, our city grew. Uh, it doubled in the last weekend. Um, and if you were angry in the last weekend, just be ready for this message. We're going to lighten up, and we're going to welcome them. We're going to be very, very excited. Um, just don't drive up and down Lincoln until later this day when all the trash is cleaned up. So... Um, but I want to tell you college students, uh, I tell you what, you know, this is not the city that I grew up in, but this is absolutely home. Um, it's not just because I've been living here for four years now, but it's because of this church community. Uh, this is where I feel welcome. This is where I feel accepted. This is where I feel loved and cherished and celebrated. And this can be that place for you too. And so we're so glad that you are here. We're going through a sermon series called Positive Megatrends in the 21st Century Church. We're talking about the things that are going uh, positively in the church right now in a world where sometimes it looks like things are not going very positively at all. Today we're going to talk about how we deliver a message and how God has called us to do that. So again, I'll, I'll ask you, how far would you go to deliver a message that, uh, that's been given to you? I have received those phone calls before where they say, we've been trying to reach you about your car's warranty. And sometimes it can be really frustrating. They've gone to great lengths just to get a hold of me. They found out my name. They found out my phone number. They found out my car. They found out the color of my car. And every single time, I start to get a little bit more convinced, maybe it's real this time. Because they've gone to such great lengths to share this message with me, right? You can start to get a little bit manipulated, a little bit fooled. It can be frustrating when there's a message that hits us and it's there just to trick us, to tease us, to turn its back on us, to lead us down the wrong way. There are a lot of different messages out there in the world. Which is the message that you are clinging to? What's the message that you're delivering? How far would you go to deliver that message? What's the story of your life? What do you believe is the story of existence? And are you willing to talk to people about it? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, the Bible is very explicit. It says in Romans chapter 10 that we inde indeed do have a story to share. Sometimes we've gotten the story wrong. It's been happening for a long time. The author of Romans says, they, they don't understand. Now, if you're reading that out of context, you might think, oh, they're talking about non-church people. Non-church people, they don't understand. Interestingly, the author of Romans here is talking about Christians, talking about church people talking about people who say that they want to be with God, and he's saying they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. The message that they're putting out about who God is and how we get close with God is all wrong. They're refusing to accept God's way. Instead, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. It is so easy for us as Christians to believe that the message of God is this. I have some instructions for you. And if you follow point A to point B to point C, you'll get to me. 
And the author of Romans is saying, absolutely not. Stop clinging to the ways of the law that you believe are the instructions that get you to God. But instead, here is a new message. The, ver the passage continues in Romans chapter 10. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the laws was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. This is the message. This is the core of our belief. We have good news to share with people. I'm going to get to this a little bit more later on in the sermon, but let us stop being Christians who are so obsessed with giving instructions to the world. Instead, let's loosen up a little bit. Let's share a message. Let's find great joy in this to be able to tell people, I don't just have good instructions for you, but I have good news. Sometimes we think that God is so far away, and that's why there are instructions that we have to follow to get to God, but God says, I'm closer than you ever know. Sometimes we think that, uh, that the point of our Christianity is to follow the storyline. And our entire life is rising action, right? And someday we'll get to the climax. There will be the turning point in the story. And that day God will say, I accept you or I reject you. But God is so much closer than that. Let's continue in the passage today. It says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. In the book of Romans chapter 10, it continues to tell us as well, what it says, excuse me, actually just before this, what it tells us is that so often we think about, well, is this person going to heaven or is this person going to hell? Is this person going to have eternal life or will they reject God? What's going to happen? Again, we're, we're, we're focusing too much on the rising action as if the climax is coming our way. Jesus says, no, I have come to you. I am the one who shows up in your life. It's not you who climbed the ladder through the story to get to me. Instead, the climax has already happened. Enough with the drama. The most dramatic thing in the history of the universe has already taken place. This is the message that we share. One more verse again we're going to share with you from the reading you heard today. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the message that we share. And it is so important that we share this message because this is where people do not just receive good instruction for how to live, but they receive the good news that they get to live. It's the good news that it's not about what we do to get to God, but it's about who God is, who God says we are, and what he's done to bring us to him. When I was in college, my senior year, I was taking a literature class. And we read a book that I never in my life thought that I was going to read, and I never thought that I was going to like it. This is called Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Uh, simultaneously, it's the worst book I've ever read and the greatest book I've ever read. The worst book I've ever read because it's about things I don't understand. And it's really long, and I fell asleep every other page. But when I would go back and I would read it, I thought that it was beautiful. On the very first page, the opening of the book, the... Uh, the, the, the narrator, the author of this book, if you will, says, call me Ishmael. Call me Ishmael. If you know your Old Testament, you know that Ishmael was the first son of a man named Abram, who would later be called Abraham. And Ishmael, yes, was the son of Abram, but he wasn't necessarily loved or appreciated the way that he should have been. Ishmael was rejected, cast out from his family. He didn't have a place to belong. He didn't have a home. He didn't feel very loved. Now, I will tell you this, that later on in the story of Ishmael, Ishmael is named Ishmael because God is the God who hears. Ishmael literally means God hears me. Ishmael's mother eventually would see that God sees her, that God loves her, God appreciates her, God welcomes her into the family. But this character at the beginning of the book says, call me Ishmael. It doesn't say that's my real name, but it says, I just feel like Ishmael. 
I feel like a person who's not welcome. I feel like a person who's not accepted. I feel like a person who has to chase a purpose, a fulfillment, a reason for living through the rising action of my life. And someday there will be a climax. And someday I will stand at the pinnacle. And someday I will be loved. The climax already happened. The most dramatic thing in the history of the universe has already been done. Jesus doesn't say, chase the rising action to me. He's come down to you. How beautiful it is that he's shared this message with you. It's not our message that we're sharing. It's the message of God. This is the message of God. The God who gives us a word that is so true that everything he says comes true immediately. God in the beginning of the creation says, let there be light. He doesn't go and turn on a flip switch. Just says, let there be light, and there is. And so God says, if you declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If God says it, it's true. This is a message that we need to hear because we are living in a world of people who are feeling like Ishmael. They don't feel like they have a home. They don't feel like they're welcome. They feel like they have to chase the rising action to get to a climax with God. But how wonderful it is to instead receive a message, isn't it? And how wonderful it is to be that messenger. Listen, if this doesn't break your heart, you've got to get closer to the heart of God. This has to break our heart. This has to mess with us a little bit. We ought to be urgent about this. We ought to move. We have to ha have a jump in our step. I remember when I was younger, my dad is a pastor, the senior pastor of Hope. He preaches down on our West Des Moines campus every single weekend. We'd be sitting up front before the sermon would start. My dad would have a, a packet of post-it notes with him at all times. This was before we had the technology in our church to have a or just even thinking about it, to have a walkie-talkie where he sat so he could signal back to the sound booth, hey, something's wrong, I need help, you know. So instead, he would take a post-it note, he would write on it really quickly, and say, Danny, and hand it to me. He'd be like, get back there, quick. And I had urgency. I'm like, I know he's about to get up there in like two minutes. So I take him like, sprint to the back. I think I'm like six, seven years old at the time. I give it to them, and then they go, okay. And then they take out their post-it note like along the lines of writing, like, it's done, or we can't do that because, and they say, take it. I run back to the front. I hand it to my dad. He says, okay, we got to do this. Right, another night. I'm like this messenger who's going back and forth and back and forth. But I tell you what, it gave me this sense of purpose. It gave me this sense of urgency. It gave me this sense of joy when I could be the one who could share that message. And then when I saw the message being delivered, I'm like, I had a part in it. I want you to know this. Every single person who knows God Every single person who finds contentment in knowing that God knows them. Every single person who has the joy that can never be taken away from them because they realize that it's not about me chasing rising action. It's not about me creating a story. It's not about me writing something that will be beautiful enough for someone to one say, you've made it. It is about the author of creation who's come down the ladder to me and say, I want to be with you. You have a part in it. And every single person who's had a part in it gets to say, yay God, and I'm in it with you. You are a part of every single message that's shared. Every single message of truth. This includes you. Let's have some urgency. Listen, it's not so much about what's happening at the end of our life, although that is a big part of it. In Christianity, we should never take that for granted. We should never take for granted that God's given us the gift of eternal life to spend with him forever in absolute peace, contentment, joy, love, perfect relationship with all the rest of creation, a renewed and restored world. We should never take that for granted. 
But let's not also forget that there are people who don't have to wait till the end of their lives to experience hell. There are people who feel rejected. There are people who feel outcasted. There are people who feel like God is so far away from them. You get to be the messenger that says, no, no, no. God is closer than the air you breathe. He's more intimate with you than the bones in your body. He's here. The message for you is simple. God has come to you. We have a hard time believing that these days, don't we? I think that part of the reason why we have a hard time believing that is because there are so many different messages and so we wonder which one can be true. You can open your phone, not literally right now, but you could open your phone and you could get millions of different messages in an instant. Do a Google search and it says on the bottom of the screen where it says 500 trillion 87 million results showed up in 0.2 seconds. How did that happen? Pull out your phone and spend hours on it receive all sorts of different messages. You can open up your social media. You can send out messages. You can receive messages. You can believe things about the world. You can believe things about yourself based on what you see on there. What's the truth? Where are you spending your time getting your messages? Where are you spending your time sharing your messages? I'm not anti-technology in the least bit whatsoever, but you know, outside of work, I mean, not including work, the average U.S. American who has a phone spends four hours on their phone every single day. Again, that, that's not including you know, the work stuff. We can get pretty consumed by the messages that are on our phones. See just a few of the apps that are on there. You, you can go back one little bit. You see the few of the apps that are on there. There's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. There's TikTok. There's all these different places where we can project messages about ourselves, where we can receive messages about ourselves. And not all of them are healthy, are they? We've got a little bit of a problem that's growing with us. In fact, that some of the people who created these things are seeing that there's a problem with that too in the messages that we send out and the messages that we receive. Take a look at this. This is uh, from one of the uh, uh, creators of Facebook. He was the former VP of growth. His name is uh, Kamath. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, he talks about the popularity that we feel. He talks about the, 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 the feelings that we experience when we post on social media. I'm putting out a message. Why am I putting out that message? Oftentimes it's to receive a like. It's to receive a share. It's to receive an affirmation. It's not so much about a message that's going out, but instead it's about a message that we want to receive back, isn't it? Uh, the inventor, the person who created the like button on Facebook, his name is Justin, he said, we created it with good intentions. We wanted it to be something that spread love and encouragement across the world, but instead it turned something that led people into depression and feeling like they weren't good enough because they weren't getting enough likes. So maybe you are getting the likes that you want, but it's interesting here, the VP of growth of Facebook, the former VP of growth of Facebook who left because he had a problem with this, he said that popularity that you feel, the satisfaction you feel, it's fake, brittle popularity. It's short term that leaves you even more vacant and empty than you did before. You enter a vicious cycle. What's the next thing I need to do now? I need it back. There are some messages that we send out and they come back empty handed, right? And so we just have to send another one out. The book of Isaiah chapter 55 says that every single time that God sends out a message, it does not come back empty-handed. Instead, it always produces the fruit that God has planned for it. Every single time. It's an undefeated message that always comes back with the victory, that always comes back with life. 
But sometimes we go to a place for a message or to send a message or to share a message and it's empty. And it's led us to some deep and dark places. Jonathan Haidt is a psychologist from NYU and he's been doing a ton of research over the last 10 years about what's the impact that social media is having on us. Before I go into that, again, I want to say I'm not anti-technology. Social media is a great tool in the same way that the printing press is a great tool, in the same way that paper is a great tool, in the same way that typing and a typewriter is a great tool. But these great tools can also be used for vicious things. And so Jonathan Haidt, he's found that over the last 10 years, there's been an extreme spike in depression and anxiety rates among teenagers and young adults. It's not just them. I do want to say that it's including for older folks who are on social media as well. But I want to specifically gear this message toward those of you who are going back to school toward those of you who are living through the thick of this right now. For decades, I mean for decades, all the way up until about 2010, uh, uh, depression and anxiety rates stayed about the same among young adults and among teenagers. Since 2010, they've grown astrono astronomically high. Hospitalization rates for teenagers, for people who are suffering from anxiety and depression, have skyrocketed 62%. For preteens, they've skyrocketed by 189%. It's directly correlated to the messages that we're sending out and the messages that we're receiving. Look, we were designed in some way to care about what the world around us thinks. I get it. I mean, it's the way that you fit in with your tribe, with your family. It's not out of obligation, but instead it's an out of response of a healthier relationship. This person loves me, and therefore I want to be a part of their life. And so I want to be a part of bringing life into their life, not bad things in their life. And so I care what they think of me. We were designed, to that for, we were designed for that to an extent. What we were not designed for is having 1,000 people, having 10,000 people, having a million people, having a billion people, or 2 billion people that are on social media actively today knowing what we're thinking. Having this idea that we have to care about what they think of us. That's way too much weight for our shoulders. And it is tearing us down. The former president of Pinterest had this to say, I'm convinced that the devices we created with good intentions are killing people. The people who made this stuff, they're not mincing words. Again, I am not saying that social media is a terrible thing. I'm not saying that technology is inherently bad. Neither of those things are true. The problem becomes is what we receive on them becomes our measure of worth. The messages that we're sending out and the messages that we're taking in and believing become our measure of worth. So we start to go to them for our instructions for life. Maybe we say that we're getting our news from social media. Maybe we say that we're getting our news from all of our different feeds. But the truth is, we're just getting instructions. We're just being used. I heard a really powerful quote about what's happening on social media. They're products that we don't pay for. And if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. You're being used. You're being manipulated. All these other different executives of these social media platforms are saying that they created algorithms that are now simply out of control. If we don't get a grip on them, we will never return from it, psychologically speaking, not even necessarily technologically speaking, psychologically. They've created these algorithms so that you continue to see the things that feed your obsession, which lead to addiction. I post something, and I think that it's groundbreaking, right? Everybody's going to see this article that I post, and now they're all going to believe me on this issue. Everyone's finally going to get it. 
You post it an hour later, there's one like and a comment that says, get out of my life. <laughs> Did it work? No, of course it didn't. Why don't they see what I see? The algorithms are out there. They prove that they don't see what you see. Instead, they're seeing the things that feed their obsession. And so then they post those things. What it's resulted in is there's no unity. There's no connection that we were supposed to have in social media. Instead, there's just more division and polarization. It sends us to different places. We're not even seeing the same things. And so when we post something, somebody says, no, I saw the complete opposite. What's truth? What message is real? Which is the one that we're supposed to absorb? My goodness, I mean, there are the things that are surrounding us in politics, there are things that surround us in health, there are things that surround us that are very heated discussions, but even more important than that, there are the messages that are being sent about yourself. It's this feeling of inadequacy that we have. Uh, healthcare uh, experts and, and, and doctors, they're finding that uh, young teenagers are coming to their offices and they're unhappy about the way they look because they don't appear the way that they appear in a Snapchat filter. It's an actual dysmorphia that they're diagnosing now. Instead, turn to the word of God for a message for your soul. It says this in Psalm chapter 139, Oh God, how precious are your thoughts about me. They can't be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you're still with me. You don't leave me. You love me. You accept me. You welcome me. You give me a purpose. You give me a message. You don't have instructions to get to me. You have a message that says, you've come to me. You don't have instructions on how to look. You don't have different stories that are trying to manipulate my life. You're not using me. You are empowering me. I have a question. The people in your life, your friends on social media, the things that you follow, are they using you or empowering you? I'm not going to answer that question for you, but it's a very important question to be asking. The things you do, the people you're following, the sources you trust, are they using you or empowering you? God is the source of life and God empowers you. And God, and God believes you are absolutely precious. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm precious. That felt weird, didn't it? Good. Now turn to the person next to you again and say, you're precious too. You're precious, Abby. <laughs> I feel bad for my wife. I, I come up here and then she's sitting on her own. So, yeah. I know she thinks I'm precious too. So, Let's go back and do our reading for today. This is in, in the book of Romans. There's a reason why I said, tell the person next to you I'm precious, but also tell the person next to you that they're precious. You're all created in the image of God, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every single one. If you ever start to wonder, well, who's supposed to receive this message? Who am I supposed to share this good news with? There's no discrimination. There's no filter that they have to go through. Look at the stories of Jesus and who he serves. He never pre-screens someone to find out, are you worthy of my grace? By definition, grace can't be something that you earn. Grace is a gift that is given. So do you want to know who you're supposed to share this message with? The message that God has come to you to receive you, to accept you, to redeem you, to welcome you, to love you, to empower you. Are you wondering who you're supposed to share that with? Look around you. It's not just the people who look like you. It's the people who look different than you. It's not just the people who have the same age as you. It's the people who are on the different side of life as you. It's not just the people who vote the same as you. It's the people who you completely disagree with. 
It's every single person. You heard in the reading this morning, how in the world can they know if they aren't told? How can they believe if someone doesn't say it to them? How can somebody say it to them if they're not sent? You are sent. And I know sometimes we get bashful about it. The, the two top reasons in a, in a, found in a survey among thousands of Christians, the two top reasons why Christians don't talk about their faith and don't send out this message, but instead succumb to the other messages just to send out because we blend in like wallpaper. But the reason why we don't send out the true message that brings life and healing and restoration and freedom to people, the number one reason is we're, fe- we're afraid of rejection, which just goes to show that we've misunderstood the gospel. The gospel is not about you doing anything that could make you acceptable. The gospel is about God saying, you're acceptable and no one gets to say anything about it. You don't have to fear rejection. And the second reason why we don't share about our faith, why we don't talk about it, is because we don't want to tell people what to do. We don't want to tell people how to live their life. Again, I think that we're, we're misunderstanding it. One more time in the book of Romans, chapter 10, it tells us about good news. On the next slide, what it says is how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Good news. Don't ever forget, this is good news. Let me finish the point that I was making earlier in the sermon. The first sermon that I ever preached at Hope, um, I, used, I, I, I pointed to this word that's in the Greek. Uh, about two years later, I pointed to this word in the Greek as well, and it's been two years since then. I, I feel like it's, it's time again. This is euangelion. Everybody say you. Now say, Angelion. Now put it together, you Angelion. It literally means good news, which is the same word for gospel. In case you're ever wondering, what's that word gospel mean? I hear it thrown around the church all the time. The gospel of Jesus. It's good news. But it's even deeper than that. It's the kind of good news that changes life for every single person around you. It's not good news if it's only good for you. That's favorable news. That's biased news. This is good news. It is history-changing news. The word gospel is not necessarily just a church word. The word gospel has been put on all sorts of different things. One of the most famous gospels that's ever been shared is the gospel of Marathon. There was a battle between two nations, and it looked like one nation was going to die. They were going to be absolutely uh, obliterated, and yet they survived. Back home, all of their people were living like their lives were going to be over. There was chaos in their city. And so somebody says, you got to go back. you got to tell them, we're free. We're alive. Don't live like you're still dying. Live like you have life. And so somebody runs all the way from Athens to the city of Marathon, which was 26.2 miles away, which is where we get the distance for a marathon. He runs. He comes in. He says, you get to live. And, and then he died, but that's beyond the point. <laughs> How far would you go? Um, if you've run a marathon, you know that that's about what you feel like. Listen, you, you don't have to live like your life's over anymore. You don't have to live like you're trying to earn life. You get to live like you've been given life. Let me say this again. Good instruction will tell you how to live. The good news of Jesus tells you that you get to live. You get to share that with people. What if we kept it to ourselves? I mean, really, when we think about the gospel like this, when we think about the message that we've been equipped to share like this, how could you not share it? 
How can you not spread it? It doesn't always happen with our words. Really old theologian, St. Francis, used to say, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. There's uh, been some devastation in our world over the last week and a half. I'm sure that you've heard of this. You heard about it in uh, Hope 360. In Haiti, there was a devastating earthquake. You've already been dealing with a lot of devastation. You've seen what's been happening in Afghanistan over the last week. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus commissions his followers. I want you to go out and share the good news. He uses that word, euangelion, gospel. I want you to go out and share the good news with the world around you. He sends out all people of all backgrounds, probably of all ages. You're never too old. You're never too young. And he says, go. And given, were they qualified? Probably not. Jesus hadn't died yet. He hadn't risen from the dead. They didn't have the full picture. But Jesus says, go. I want you to go. Spread the good news to people. Tell them that they get to live. Go do the things that I'm doing. And that's the assignment for us. Do the things that Jesus has done. Because Jesus lives in us and through us. And so he sends us out with the good news. Not instruction. News. Jesus says, go out. And I don't think that it is any. I don't think it is any coincidence whatsoever that by the end of this story, Jesus is asked by someone, who is my neighbor that I'm supposed to serve and love? Who is the person that I'm supposed to reach? And Jesus goes into one of his most famous stories. You may know it as the Good Samaritan. There was a Jewish man who was walking down the road. He was mugged. He was left for dead. And here comes a religious person, and they leave him. Here comes another religious person, and they leave him. Here comes a Samaritan man, a man of another race, a man of another background, who hated Jewish men, and Jewish men hated Samaritans. If this Jewish man sees the Samaritan coming, he would say, get away from me. I'd rather die than be touched by you. And the Samaritan would say, I hate you. You've ruined my life. And yet the Samaritan serves and loves the man who's been hurt and left for dead. Jesus sends the story by asking, so you tell me, who's the neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Who are you reaching? Who are you talking to? I mean, yeah, they don't live where we live. Maybe they don't believe some of the same things that we believe. They are our neighbors. Now, can you imagine if we showed up in these places and we told them, all right, I've got a blueprint for you. Here's how you get your nation back in order. Here's how you build your country back up. N no. Be entirely insensitive. You're so wrong. Instead, we've reached out to our partners in Haiti and we said, don't worry about the check. We will supply the need that you have for food so that you can send more food down there. Good news. You can do this. And to our mission partners that reach out across the world, um, and especially work with refugees, we say, our doors are open. We will host those families. No instruction. News. Invitation. Please come. Please come. Please have life. Who are you sharing the news with? How do we do it? Let's close today's sermon by talking about sharing good news. And there's the popular button on social media. You can share something. And sometimes you feel really good about yourself when somebody shares something that you're like, oh, it's shareworthy, you know? So we're sharing good news. How do we do that in a Christ-centered, good news kind of way? 
especially uh, in a world where we're sharing so many things on social media these days. Um, this doesn't necessarily have to apply with social media, but it absolutely can apply to social media and how you behave online. The first is invitation over instruction. We are giving people good news, not good instructions. Good instructions have their purpose and they have their place and that's nice. But when it comes to the good news of Jesus, it is news. It is freedom. You don't have to live that way anymore. You've been set free. You can read about that in Romans chapter 10 like we've looked at today. The second one I think is kind of funny. Don't be weird or passive aggressive. I think that if you really think about this critically, you might know what I'm talking about. The world does not need another post talking about how evil, corrupt, and wrong your least favorite political party is. It's repulsive. I'm not a psychologist, but as someone who's related to somebody who, is, who majored in psychology, uh, would tell me, and, any, and, and somebody who, work, who, who has been the benefit of psychology, who has benefited from psychologists, they will tell you, that in Psych 101, they will tell you, the least convincing way to win somebody over is to tell them, you're, you're, you're dumb. Don't be weird. Don't be passive-aggressive in the posts that you make. Don't post something so that somebody else will see it. If you have a specific issue with someone, take it to them. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, take it to that person. If that doesn't work, take it to that person with another person. If that doesn't work, get a group together, discuss it with them, and then work out and reconcile with that person. But don't post something just so that somebody else sees it. Don't send a message to your family group chat just so that somebody else in your family will be hit and hurt by it. It's important to ask ourselves this question before we post something, before we say something. Am I saying this because it has truth and value, or am I saying this because I'm trying to prove a point that I don't have the guts to, to tell someone on my own? Don't be passive-aggressive. Be direct. Be honest. But don't be weird about it. Our conversations do not always need to start with, are you saved? If you ask me that, I might ask, from what? I might look over my shoulder and wonder, is someone coming after me? No, instead, develop a relationship with them. Develop a common ground with them. Show up in their life. Share the good news with them. Be authentic also when you share the good news. I preached about this last weekend. Let what you are posting reflect what's actually happening in your life. If somebody goes to your social media page and they see that you love Jesus, that you just want people to come to church with you, that you want them to connect into a small group, and then they scroll down a little bit farther and it says, I hate Democrats. I hate Republicans. It's not authentic. It's not the message of Jesus. And you're certainly not winning anybody over. It's not effective. Be more authentic than that. Be personal. Show up in somebody's life. In 1 Corinthians 13, we would be encouraged to share love over noise. Uh, Paul says that I could have every single gift. I could be so smart. I could speak all the languages of men and angels. But if I don't love people, I'm nothing but a noisy, loud, clanging gong. There's a lot of noise in the world right now, isn't there? There are a lot of messages out there. Choose to share a message of love. It might not get the most likes. It might not get the, get the most attention. But you've already been eternally liked, accepted, and loved by the creator of the universe. Share love over noise. And finally, sign off. Turn your phone off. It's okay. 
Don't get me wrong. Like, when you are on your phone, use it for good things. When you're on your computer, use it for good things. There's so many different good things that you can use it for. And then sometimes people are like, oh, never post about anything good in your life. D no. Like, be authentic. You can post about good things in your life. If there's something good happening at this church, I hope that you post it. Did you know in the last year and a half, Lutheran Church of Hope, God has used us to reach over a million people through technology? Way bigger than any campus that we have, God is using technology to reach people. This is common. This is what we've seen in the church all the way throughout history. Over 500 years ago, Martin Luther, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, he led with the printing press, which was a new technology back then. And so now he could translate Bibles and he could print them quickly so that he could distribute them to people around them. He used the technology, if you will, of his time. Listen, there's nothing inherently evil about paper, about ink, about a printing press. There's nothing inherently evil about your phone, about, about the internet, about, about, about social media, about the way that you can post. You can use all of those things for good. So do it for good. In fact, we'd be wasting them if we don't. To go on a mission trip, go ahead and share it. I know that it's common for people to say, oh yeah, you went on a mission trip just to share a picture. I don't go on mission trips and share pictures. Well, if you're saying that you shouldn't ever go on a mission trip and ever post a picture about it, you're outing yourself and showing that you don't actually talk to those mission leaders who run those organizations, because they will tell you, I want you to share this on social media. Because we want to get the word out about this. Do whatever you can to get the word out about the good news. But when it's time, sign off. Have interpersonal relationships with people. We live in a world that is so high-tech, but it is lacking high-touch, right? Don't forget about the high-touch. I want to invite you to try something at the end of today's sermon. Go ahead, if you have your phone, go ahead and, and take it out. Um, and, uh, and if you're a person who's on call, don't do this, okay? Like if, 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 you're, if you're in the medical world, if you work in law enforcement and you need your phone... Please do not do this. Like, sorry, pastor told me. No, no, no. Go ahead and turn your phone off. Can you do that? And if you don't know how, turn to a 12-year-old next to you and they'll show you how to turn it off. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think some of you are like, I've had my phone for five years and I've never once turned it off. It's never gotten to zero on the battery. Just turn it off. Just put it aside. Some of you, I see, you're like, i got to get back to this really quick, and I'll turn it off. Sign off. There is a time when not every single person in the world needs to reach you. And there is a time when you don't need to be concerned about what every single person in the world thinks of you. There is a time that is meant for you and God, and there is a time that is meant for you and the people who you do life with. Sign off. Spend time with one another. And know that there is a God who sees you. Sometimes we refuse to sign off because we're so desperate for the world to see us, to notice us. I've got to keep my brand up, right? Whether it's in social media, in your job, in your passions, in your hobbies. Maybe it's just even in your family. There is a God who sees you. If I could talk about Ishmael again one more time. He's the, the, the boy in the Old Testament who is rejected and, and not loved immediately by his family, but God loved him and God cared for him. His mother was Hagar. Hagar um, gave birth to Ishmael and she was rejected by the family. She was sent out. She felt lonely. She didn't need instruction on how to be more worthy of someone's time. She needed good news that she was worthy of God's time so much that he wasn't finished making creation without her. 
And as she's sitting alone one day and she's absolutely discouraged and feels like her life is entirely over, God speaks to her. In a world where there are messages flying around you at all times, listen to the voice of God. The God that you don't have to chase a story to get approval from. A God that you don't have to reach the climax for to be welcomed into his home. But instead, the God who sees you, the God who names you. See how personal this God is. It's just a side note. I think it might be kind of unrelated, but I think it's worth knowing. Hagar was one of the most, uh, her story is one of the most difficult to read in the entire Bible. The story of her rejection is painful. And yet this person who was neglected, oppressed, and sent out, and felt like nobody in the world saw her, is the first one in the entire Bible to name God. She calls him Elroy, which means you're the God who sees. And you are the God who sees me. It's okay to sign off. It's okay to disconnect. It's okay to be present. Because there is a God who sees you when you're not trying to chase the rising action. But instead a God who has come down to be with you. Not to give you good instructions, although he has plenty of those, but that's not his primary purpose. But to give you good news. The good news is that you get to live. Who are you going to share that news with? Let's stand and sing. Amen.